0: We have over 1,100 people on the sign-up list. 1,100. We have done zero marketing. They are just clamoring for high-speed internet.
1: This is episode 341 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self reliance I'm Lisa Gonzalez. This week, Christopher and our research associate, Katie Kingbaum, are in North Carolina visiting folks in the communities of Albemarle, Fuquay, varina and Jacksonville. They're working with NC Hearts Gigabit and the North Carolina League of Municipalities in efforts to reach out and set up those community meetings so people can discuss and learn about better connectivity in rural areas and smaller cities. While at the first meeting, Christopher sat down to visit with Alan Fitzpatrick, CEO of Open Broadband, a relatively new fixed wireless internet service provider. Alan and Christopher talk about the beginnings of open broadband and how this wireless ISP differs from the traditional concept of a WISP. They also talk about how Alan and his partner came to the conclusion that they would incorporate wireless solutions into the technology they offer and the challenges that they face. Learn more about the company at openbb.net. Now here's Christopher from Albemarle, North Carolina with Alan Fitzpatrick from Open Broadband
2: welcome to another edition of the community broadband bits podcast live edition (laughs) we're here in albemarle north carolina where we just had the first of three let's connect events and one of our speakers for two of the nights is alan fitzpatrick the ceo of open broadband welcome back to the show alan Thanks Chris, nice to be here. So you were here before and we were talking about NC Hearts Gigabit, which you also were a co-founder of. Since we're not going to talk too much about that and people can go back and listen to that show, just give us a 10 second uh, summary of what NC Hearts Gigabit is.
0: It is an advocacy group that wants to roll out high speed gigabit internet for everyone.
2: That's great. And what is Open Broadband?
0: Open Broadband is an ISP. That was uh, created by myself and a co-founder a couple of years ago. We had recognized the same problem that many of your listeners uh, recognize, that uh, broadband is elusive in some of the rural markets.
2: Now, I just, I I want to jump in before you go too further, because I wanted to say, I've imagined this moment in which you two are like sitting there over beers and saying, why don't we just do it? That's pretty much how it was. I I wanted to get there before you did. (laughs) I was working at a data center.
0: So I was the COO for DC74 data centers in Charlotte, mm-hmm. and we were in the process of selling the company uh, to Lumos Networks, uh, a very amicable sale. It was something we were trying to make happen. And uh, my co-founder, Kent Winrich, was uh, in the process of leaving Salisbury. So he was running the uh, broadband network Fibrant uh, at the time. And he and I were having a beer, and we were deciding, you know, what do we do next in our career? I mean, we're too young to uh, retire, and we're, we're both telecom experts. Uh, what should we do next? Well, like any good entrepreneur, you start off with a problem to solve. Sure. If you can solve a problem with a better solution, you're more likely to be successful uh, in a new business. So we were reading report after report, many that you had published. And this is, Uh, sorry,
2: 2016? 2017? 2016, 2016, okay. Sort of the
0: summer, fall of 2016. And we just kept reading all of this information on how uh, many Americans were being left behind. They didn't have access to broadband, 25 megabit speed definition. And, of course, we've seen what's happened with the FCC since then. But the problem hasn't gone away. And we looked at each other and we said, we know how to provide an Internet network. We can solve this problem. Uh, How do we do it cost effectively was our next question. There's Mm -hmm. a reason why the incumbents haven't solved it yet. And one of the things we came to the conclusion on was trying to use legacy technologies to solve this problem wasn't going
2: to work. And so that's like copper networks and um, really copper networks. <laughs> yeah, really, copper, copper networks <laughs> and satellite. I mean, yeah, and satellite, right? Because because in some ways, coax. It, it's not what we're probably going to want in thirty years, but for the next ten years, still, it actually seems in many places to be okay.
0: It does. In fact, cable, I think, has 85% of the broadband market in the country mm-hmm. uh, because it it works and it's fast and people mm-hmm. like it. And it's the best option of what people have uh, if you if you don't have access to fiber. Sure. So we looked at the different technologies and said, well, the only real cost-effective way to serve these sparsely uh, populated communities was a wireless solution. Um, unless you're funded by the government or you have some kind of grant funding to, to deploy fiber, which which would be great, right? We would all love to have that. If you really have to make a business case on it, you have to be profitable. The only way we could see doing it was fixed wireless.
2: So you jumped in. And so one of my early memories of this, of open broadband was a water tower. And so I'm curious of how you got started. What, What was your first customer?
0: Our first customer was an orthodontist who wanted gigabit service. Talk about a challenging first customer. Your first customer was a gigabit, symmetrical gigabit up and down.
2: Right, and you're looking to do this with wireless technology in 2016. In 2016, Mm -hmm. right, which is
0: brand new, right? Ciclu was a big uh, maker of antennas back then.
2: Right, and you can do that, but typically gigabit radios are going to be so costly. We only really see them on top of apartment buildings where you can spread the costs across multiple people. Correct,
0: so uh, I remember when we bought our first gigabit antennas. we really had a long discussion. It's like, this is how much money we have in the bank account, this is how much the antennas cost? Are we really going to do this or not? You know we were a private company. This mm-hmm. is our money. You think of it spending your own personal money to do this. so it was a it was a risk. But that customer is still in service. I spoke to him the other day. He loves his Gigabit service.
2: I'll bet, yeah. <laughs> you know, my my parents just switched to Gigabit. They had been on Frontier for the longest time. And <laughs> I think it was, um, it may have been Christmas. We were leaving and they live um, next to a major county road. And you know, it's dark out. My son is already falling asleep in the back of the car. And I'm driving out um, the the street. So the driveway runs parallel to this major road. I'm driving out, and at the corner of my eye, I see this black sign and the word "internet" on it. And I was like, "Whoa!" I hit the brakes, I back up, and I jump out of the car to take a picture of the sign so I can look up look it up later. And it's a it's a wireless company, a, a Wisp. And they had just, they were advertising internet on my parents' yard with, like a little yard sign without permission. But, you know, I was just sort of like, oh, well, this is interesting. So my parents, um, you know, took them up on it, and they're loving it. And it's way better than what Frontier can do. And the DSLAM is on their property. <laughs> so. Wow. I tell you,
0: the WISP industry is not that well known. There's over 1,200 wireless ISPs, mm-hmm. WISP, across the country. And uh, t- uh, collectively, I think there's 5% market
2: share mm-hmm. in what we're doing. I think one of the challenges with WISPs is that um, a number of them started with good intentions. But to some extent, when you start succeeding, if you're not ready to scale, um, it it gets real hard real fast, right? A few customers is probably easy, relatively. But then you start having to figure out how to solve all kinds of problems. So I think one of the challenges is just that um, people have a bad experience with a WISP. They might think all WISPs are bad.
0: That's a great point. And scalability is the number one issue. I I think you hit that dead on. Uh, One of the benefits of the background that I have and my co-founder have is we came out of the industry where we did scale. Mm -hmm. and We worked for major communication companies. So when we set up our – I I almost hesitate to say WISP. We are a fixed wireless last mile, but we consider ourselves a hybrid carrier because the core of our network is a data center. Okay, Data center has – 70 gigabit of capacity Mm -hmm. upstream. We have 12 fiber carriers, hardened 24 by 7. I mean, think of all the power of a data center. We lease fiber optics from one of 12 different carriers to get out into the market. None of that is wireless. Mm -hmm. It's only the last mile that's wireless.
2: Right. Well, this is a, a profile, the modern WISP, you might say. Um, you know, there's a, a, probably multiple Facebook groups that are just dealing with WISPs that are getting into the fiber space. You're maybe members of multiple ones. I don't know.
0: No, you're right. Uh, in the past, a uh, entrepreneur might see an opportunity that, hey, I can buy a local circuit from one of the telcos and I can distribute it wirelessly the last mile, make some money on it and give people fast service. And it works to a certain point. But like you say, it doesn't scale. So we had to do the data center route to really make a scalable uh, solution.
2: And so I'm curious now, what's been your most challenging problem that you've had to solve so far in, in running the WISP? Keeping people patient. Okay. We have
0: launched in markets, and as soon as our service is available, we get so many people signing up that we can't serve them fast enough.
2: What does that mean? Is that tens, Hundreds? So
0: we have one county in North Carolina. We're building the network now. We have not launched. We don't have our first customer up yet. The first customer won't be till April. Mm -hmm. We have over 1,100 people on the (laughs) sign-up list. 1,100. We have done zero marketing. Mm -hmm. They are just clamoring for high-speed internet.
2: You haven't put any signs in my parents' yard? No,
0: we haven't. (laughs) No radios, but Nothing. So there's so many people waiting. What we have now is people calling us up every day. When am I going to get service? They can look at my address. When mm-hmm. am I going to get turned sure. up? Sure. And trying to keep everybody patient, saying we're building the network. It's going to take time. Our first customer will turn up in April. And then we have to be careful they don't think they'll be turned up in April. Sure. It's like, okay, the first customer turns up in April. We have the capacity to turn up 100 a month. We have over 1,100 on the wait list. Are we talking a year backlog? Mm-hmm. Trying to manage the backlog is actually a problem for us.
2: Well, now, one of the things that I I wonder about, and and one of the things that makes me skeptical about wireless is, I joke with my parents, don't tell any of your neighbors how good it is. Because they were advertised, I think, 35, 30 down, 5 up. And they're paying a real reasonable fee for that, for being in an area that's not served by cable. And they're getting like 35 down, 45 up. And I was saying, don't tell anyone, because the more people you tell in your sector, the more you're going to have congestion and that sort of thing. So how do you deal with, when you start dealing with the volume of customers you're talking about, having a high-quality product to each one?
0: You're absolutely right. You have to have that for long-term success. So for us, it's managing the fiber backhaul, making sure that that's not being congested. And we're getting back to a data center that's not going to have a congestion issue Mm -hmm. ever. It just won't.
2: Right. You have a fundamentally, it's the last mile problem, right? I mean, that's your quintessential problem.
0: So then it's a question of how many customers per antenna that you're deploying and making sure you're not overriding that. I always viewed the issue of congestion as being an engineering problem that's fairly easy to solve. It's solved by... Putting money into additional hardware and capacity,
2: mm-hmm. but what does that mean? Like, if you're on a water tower or you're on a um a, a different tower, you presumably can't just put n radios up, right? I mean, at a certain point, you have all kinds of problems with interference and things like that. So, I mean, are you you have to put up new towers? I mean, what does that look like?
0: We like to do uh, micro pops, which are sort of the WISP version of a. Uh, uh, a microcell that you know a 5g network would have so you're putting something closer to a neighborhood or a street mm-hmm. and then serving communities uh, off of that location and that could be off of a church steeple it could be off of a three-story building it doesn't have to be that high and then from there you have a point going back to the water tower
2: okay so you're getting pretty close to the home then
0: and the closer you get to the home the better speeds you can get So one of the things about 5G, as I'm sure you know, is in order to get these really high speeds, you better be really close to the antenna. Right. Uh, Same in our our business. We can offer faster speeds the closer we are.
2: And so do you have a standardized package then, or is it pretty variable based on where people are?
0: It is a little variable. So we offer the same packages, but some people don't qualify for the fastest speeds simply because of the terrain or where they live.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And do you have areas then in which, you know, if you're these 1,100 people, are there people among them that you just can't reach? Or are you able to get to everyone that you want to get to?
0: There's some we can't reach.
2: Is that they're on the wrong side of a hill or something like that?
0: Correct. There's just too much obstruction that even with the technology we're using, we just can't serve them. Our best case is we try to reach 90% of a community. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's just going to be 10%. They're going to be very, very difficult.
2: When you look into the future of how the market's going, the technology's going, do you think in three years we'll be able to reach 5% more, or do you have any sense of— I think so,
0: and that is the way the technology is going. We're seeing uh, the wireless get faster and do a better job propagating through vegetation. Mm -hmm. Uh, 5G is uh, leading a lot of that, Uh, but a lot of the traditional WISP antennas and radios have gotten so much better over time.
2: So when when I'm up there on stage talking about how we are ultimately going to get a fiber to every home, do you think I'm wrong? Do you think we're going to get to a point where in 10 years we'll say, you know what, wireless will cover the others who we just haven't haven't gotten to yet?
0: I think it would be a hybrid. I think that in the dense areas, fiber is awesome, right? Mm -hmm. I would have fiber at my house if I could. But it just does not make economic sense in the more sparsely uh, populated areas. So I think wireless is a good solution for that as long as you can provide the speeds
2: and the quality. So the challenge there, and this is this is my biggest hesitation. I mean, I used to, like I said, a, three or four years ago, I was looking at this and I was thinking fixed wireless just it can't cut it. It's not good enough. Um, you know, it's a bridge, but it's a mediocre bridge. You know, kind of in the way I feel about satellite now. Satellite, you might be able to get 100 megs pulling off of that, but still... It's, it's not a high-quality experience. Fixed wireless has, has really come a long way. But I'm concerned about the 10% of areas you can't reach. And so there's a question, do we just let those areas go back to wildlife? Because those home values are really going to suffer, presumably.
0: They will. And, and it's a shame. We need to find a solution for that 10%. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree. Whether and regardless of technology, you've got to find a way to do it.
2: Not knowing much about the technology. If you had carte blanche to, like, install more micropops and things like that, would you be able to, for instance, run a fiber from a nearby micropop to connect that home or, you know, something else? Is that something you've looked into? We could.
0: We actually have. Right. So if we are close enough to the customers, one thought is instead of deploying 50 antennas to cover the 50 houses, well, let's just put in fiber mm-hmm. and, and just bury it.
2: So you go fiber, wireless fiber?
0: Yes. That's a model that we have actually pursued we haven't love deployed it. one yet but we are looking
2: at that. i i was talking to someone uh i don't know seven years ago it was before longmont launched and um and that was a question of there's a there was a nearby area and they're trying to the cost of getting fiber there were extreme and i was like well, why don't you just do like a mega radio link and then do fiber from there and you know some point in the next 10 or 15 years you're gonna repave the road or something and rip it up then
0: and if you think of it, the telecommunications companies were using wireless in their long distance network for years and years and years. Oh,
2: sure. I mean, that was Sprint, right? Yep.
0: Sprint was the first company to make digital uh, fiber network. AT&T, you can still drive in rural areas today and see these big antennas on AT&T buildings that used to be the long haul network.
2: Right, and actually, I said Sprint, but I was thinking MCI, right? That was MCI's oh. model, I think, in the 70s, wasn't it? To, to go fiber. To, yeah, to... Um... Well, Sprint had the pin drop, which was fiber, too. So you're right. right. Well, no, they, so they had that, but I think, I think MCI was, and thank you for giving me this word in the part that Lisa just edited out. <laughs> MCI was brilliant because they sort of... Subverted long-distance calling by dabbling in arbitrage and using wireless to do long-distance at a lower cost, and fundamentally setting in motion the, the end of Ma Bell, probably. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's you're right. There's a, there's a long history of this. So I, I think that evolution over time
0: is going to choose the best technology for the right situation. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't get hung up, I don't think, on whether it's fiber or wireless. Certain things are going to apply in certain situations.
2: No, I think you're right. And I think my concern is, and fixed wireless has come further than I thought it would, I'm still worried about the reliability. Um, I mean, I assume that you live in fear of a glitch during the Super Bowl when you have a bunch of customers streaming it, and it's just like key play. That's when the wind blows wrong, and a bunch of people have – um, you know, a little bit of interference because I just I feel like people don't appreciate what five nines is of reliability.
0: You're right. The WISP industry today operates on a four nines reliability. That's so pretty darn good. That
2: is very good.
0: But if you look at the specs on Ubiquity and Mimosa and the, and the different uh, equipment, you'll see four nines uh, mm-hmm. reliability. Now, the carrier still has to make sure they have generators and battery backup and all the mm-hmm. other things we have to do to ensure service quality. But you're right. We can't afford to be down during the Super Bowl just like. Uh, the video the cable company can't afford to be down at that time right i've heard
2: stories of a small cable company that had a glitch during the super bowl and lost like all of their customers the next day oh gosh i heard that uh, google fiber had an outage during the world series
0: when the royals were playing oh no, was that brutal or maybe it was the chiefs it was, it was one of the uh yeah, the kansas city teams yeah no i think major. it would have
2: been the royals no you know, the
0: royals oh. were in the world series like three years
2: ago or right. so yeah, right yeah i they think fell so apart yeah
0: but I think that actually during one of the Royals games in the World Series, Google Fiber was out wow. in Kansas City, wow. which was awful. Yeah, that's
2: going to hurt. Uh, one of the things that we hear from Monkey Brains, which is a, a WISP that I've long been fascinated by in, in um, San Francisco, proving that you can have um, a very successful WISP in a very urban environment, is that they have customers who say, we want fiber. And Monkey Brains will deliver wireless while they're getting the fiber lined up. And after a month or two, the customer will say, you know what? The wireless is really just fine. It's meeting all of our needs. I'm, I'm guessing that you've had similar sorts of experiences.
0: We have, and we've had people, uh, businesses, with fiber that still bought our wireless service. Mm-hmm. So one might say, well, wait a minute. If you have fiber, why would you need wireless? Well, first of all, they wanted it as a redundant option because their fiber had been cut like three times in the past six months.
2: Sure. Is there anything else we should talk about before we wrap up?
0: We're seeing a a groundswell of support for broadband, and I think part of it is being driven by 5G. I mean, every place you read and I guess we're attuned to it because we're in the industry 5g this 5g that and what is 5g it's a marketing term that really means nothing right and
2: it it just reminds me of the the joke oh there must be a horse in there somewhere (laughs) there's so much (laughs) there's so much hype about it yeah
0: I like the hype because it gets people thinking about speed it gets people thinking about broadband it makes them compare what they have today versus their desired state so the more we can have that conversation the better so I applaud the whole 5g movement for sparking the conversation (laughs) just like google Fiber. Part. Thank
2: you, cynical marketers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so maybe, yeah, I'm a little cynical on the 5G term, but they're, they're driving the conversation in the right direction, mm-hmm. just like Google
2: Fiber did when they rolled out. So getting people to think about broadband is a good thing. So someone who's listening, they're thinking, well, I'm going to go start my WISP right now. What should they know before they do that? Hmm. You better figure out a good cost-effective model. You better be prepared to work
0: around the clock. You have to come up with a, a reliable, scalable platform, and it's not as easy as what it sounds like. Right. Oh, just buy an antenna off the shelf and attach it to a connection.
2: I was just going to say that you, that's not one of the products you can just buy.
0: No. And you got to think about billing and customer care. and What, mm-hmm. you, what are you going to do when the customer calls you up at 8 p.m. at night and they can't watch their Netflix? Are mm-hmm. you gonna, do you have a technician that's going to go out to their house mm-hmm. and resolve that? Right. Are you staffed for that? Are you funded for that?
2: Those are really good questions. Thank you so much, Alan. I really appreciate your time as we we all contemplate a long drive back after this wonderful event tonight. (laughs) Thanks, Chris. Great to be here.
1: That was Christopher and Alan Fitzpatrick of Open Broadband talking together from Albemarle, North Carolina at the first of three local community meetings. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at Community Nets. Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss out on our original research from all our initiatives. Subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. And while you're there, please take a moment to donate. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you for listening to episode 341 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast.